Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our Q&A sessions, where David and Brent answer questions from the audience and also any questions from our social media followers. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Boo. How's everybody doing tonight? Nice to see everybody in chat. Uh, Crab Nuts, um, glad, good to see you here tonight. I'm uh, always a little bit worried. It stresses me when you're not here, so thanks for being here. Um, we have yet another live Q&A with uh, Mr. Hubert and myself. We are going to continue going through the um, the the list of compiled questions from you know streams of yester yesterday. And um, we it will also take time to answer some if they come up tonight as well. You know, keep in mind these are good good ways of getting questions about the industry. If you have general questions about animation in general, like you want some advice on what to do next, where to go to learn, should I stay in school, should I try to get my first job? Like these are good good times to do that. But also, um, it's a good time to also ask if you got questions about Agora community. You know, you know, you're you're curious about. A uh, feature that I talked about a while ago that's not there yet. Um, don't know how to do something, Agora community, that you'd like to know how to do. Like, it, it really, it's general, these questions. We will, as I as I promised, eventually start making some themes that we'll announce well ahead in advance where we'll bring a special guest on where they will be specializing in some areas so you can bring your specialized questions to those streams as well. So, uh, but uh, for tonight, you're gonna have to endure the the general perspective of someone like myself and David Hubert. I like to think we should be able to entertain nonetheless. So Mr. Hubert, hello, how are you? Hey Brent. Hey. What's up, man? Not, that was, uh, a, was that? That was a great introduction. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. I was practicing it in the mirror earlier. Uh, I'm glad yeah, it went well, it, yeah. It shows, it's getting better every week. <laughs> Perfect. That's Keep good. At it. It's better to go. It's 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 going in the right direction, I guess, which is better than the. Uh, well, you know. lower the expectation from the start, and then you can only improve over time, right? That's it, right? Just totally. That's it. And I think that I think I did a good job of that. I think on a couple of those earlier streams when like nothing worked, so it's it, things are working a little bit now, which is nice. Um, okay, so I guess we should. I mean, I don't know. We could, I think what we did last time was awesome. We kind of just sort of naturally ended up pulling, you know, back and forth. We had like a question from the stream. We took a question from the backlog. And we just kind of bounced around until we ran out of out of the hour, and, which happened quick. So I guess yeah. we should jump on it right away because uh, yeah, I would say, and maybe something that would, if we go one question from the chat and, and mm -hmm. one from the backlog, uh, maybe we can because something uh, I saw a lot of question last time I was like oh I hope that I'll remember yeah. th this one and then it just go way down and yeah. see it so maybe we'll start with chat uh, yeah, okay, and then sure. after that, and, and uh, we'll go on the uh, backlog. Yeah. And then after that, when we go back to chat, we're like, okay, now is the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Stuff. Because otherwise, we'll end up like adding more questions to the backlog during the, the, the stream where we're supposed to be taking care of the backlog, which kind of defeats the purpose. I like that. Okay, yeah. sure. So we got a question right up here up the top. Do you want to take it? All right. Uh, let's see. I see two right here. Uh, da, 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 da. There's okay, I'll, I'll go with the uh, quick one. 
I'll go okay. with the uh, quick one uh, right Which there. One? How, how important is it to have a quadruped on an animation reel from Joshua MCK Anim? Mm. That's an interesting question. Um, uh, I would say for me, and you know, we've Brent, we've both did uh, a new creature, some quadruped animation in, in the past. So I'm sure we mm -hmm. both have opinions uh, on this. Um, for me, a show reel should do many things, but it should definitely be tailored of what you aspire to be doing yeah. in the uh, industry. Uh, if you are looking forward to become a someone that might be specialized in creature animation or VFX or you know uh, animals, all of the above, uh, having quadruped animation in your show reel is a no-brainer. That's going to open a lot of doors, uh, and I would even say a maybe a, a few uh, quadruped animation uh, as well. So by and large, it is not mandatory at all to, to have it in your showreel. But if you aspire to do creature animation and VFX and all that, uh, it would be a really, really, really good idea uh, to have it in, in there. That's, uh, that, that's for sure. And I would say as well, it kind of show, because even in, in uh, humanoid character animation, you can have more realistic, very stylized. So you have a, a range. But as soon as you go into creature with quadruped or wings or tentacles and all that, it, it kind of show a different uh, side. So I would say it, it kind of send the information that not only are you really interested with you know, this kind of stuff, creature animation. But on top of that, you are ready to do the extra effort to learn about the locomotion, the body mechanics, and everything that went through the learning before you were able to provide a good piece of content for your showreel. Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because you're, when your demo reel is a very, it, it's funny. I feel like the one thing that students, uh, or not even students, just even, like, it's amazing how I've seen people that have been animating for 10 years still struggle to really understand what to put on their demo reel. For me, it's always been, kind of straightforward because it's always been like i know what i'm trying to get and so that i put the things on there that i feel will help me get there and then the question is simply what can i put on that reel that will communicate what i need the person who's going to look at it needs needs to know it might be a little easier for me because as a director i i'm i'm the, i'm often in the position of looking at a people a person's reel and and so i can put myself in that person's shoes a little bit maybe easier than another person but it really isn't too hard because like for instance i always gripe about this for game animation where people who want to be a game animator they just want they just put the typical stuff on their reel they just put like you know what the school told them to put on there like they put a bunch of cycles because like, apparently that's game animation and it's like it's it's the bar has been raised at this point it to be way beyond that and it's an it's an opportunity for you to have like an unspoken conversation with the person who's going to look at it if you could put things in there that says hey i get it i understand what the job is more so than the surface level because i've actually done some homework there's a chance to do that. So if you really start to dig deep and have some opportunities to talk to people you know do this job for a living, ask them what kind of things are you usually doing? Like what is your day-to-day -day look like? Do you need to work inside the engine? Do you like what is going on? And also, what are the tricky things? Like what are the things that are difficult? The things that the industry in general is aspiring 
to, um, to, 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 to tackle? What are those challenges? Because if you're really ambitious, you could actually put a bunch of things in there that are sort of like almost in a way sort of indicating that you get that and that you're almost working, you're, you're, you're spending time and energy trying to solve that problem almost on your own a little bit. Not to say that mm -hmm. you can solve it on a technical level, but if you know that like, you know, you know, touching surfaces in games during gameplay is like a big thing ever since Uncharted was doing it all the time. It's like, well, maybe you pick up on that. You try to put some examples of that somehow in your, your demo reel, just because it's a way of saying, Hey, I get it. I've been playing games. I understand what's in there. I see what the, what the, 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 you know, the leading edge, you know, uh, co companies are, are doing. And I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm paying attention and I'm willing to be that one of those pioneers on your team. Quadruped is no, no different. It's like, if you're going to, if you want to work in VFX or you want to work on video games, you really stand out when you, it's almost like a badge of honor when you get a quadruped, when you start animating quadrupeds, because now you're in a group that's a specialized group that not all animators are in. Some animators are just too terrified of quadrupeds. And honestly, they just don't ever really even go down that road. So by going down that road on your own with, um, some confidence and putting the time in obviously so that doesn't you know they, so you actually kind of know what you're doing you are opening up more doors like david said 100 but it's the same for anything so quadrupeds is just an example game animation is an example whatever you you pick the things that are you're genuinely interested in you do a deep dive on it you make sure you learn enough about it you put it on a demo reel and you're you're essentially saying hey i'm open for business so yeah. hire me i would say uh, another advice uh, i could think on is i um I created the uh, quadruped uh, program at iAnimate. I think that was, that must have been like eight, Long nine ago. years ago. That was almost a decade ago. And it was it's at a time that it was, it, 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 it still is. Uh, yeah. There was a big need for a, a quadruped, you know, proper education. Mm -hmm. But since then, there's a lot of other schools that are, are doing the same. And there's yeah. even uh, online school that, you know, specialize. All this to say that, Having quadruped animation on your Shirelle 10 years ago was like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, yeah. It, it's not as special as it used to be. And unfortunately, there's a lot of very beautifully animated but very realistic quadruped animation that you know that someone literally copied a reference frame by frame. I'm not saying that this is easy. It's a challenge mm. on its own. But... Um, mm. I myself and some other uh, recorders or director that, that I know might be a little suspicious of, okay, mm -hmm. you're able to match one for one a mm -hmm. reference. But in production, it might be, okay, maybe you don't have a reference or you have mm -hmm. a reference, but it's a little bit of this one and a little bit of this yeah. one, a little bit of this one, and it's you have to frame those five seconds. Yeah. Or it might be way more stylized than uh, realistic, where so you just need to take the reference for locomotion or body mechanic. Uh, uh, um, you know, basic concept, but then after that, you have to exaggerate. So I would highly advise to not just have a quad realistic quad quadruped shot with the either the reference at yeah. the bottom or not, but you yeah. actually have something more. Is it something that is really yeah. pushed, really stylized, so it, it's yeah. not just copied frame by frame? Or you have two different reference, one, uh, and you yeah. see in, in the five seconds in between keyframed animation and you see yes. that it's still beautiful and it kind of yep. linking you you do something to yep. to show whoever is looking at the reel that this is not copied a hundred percent from a reference yeah that's going to allow you to stand up uh, stand out now yeah. compared to 10 years ago where yeah. just good quadruped animation was enough that's really good advice because that's something i see a lot i see a lot of that and, and one really easy way to do that would be creature animation so for instance you use reference of some sort of base animal 
but you then apply it to something like a dragon, mm -hmm. for instance. And and yep. what you're doing there is you need to extrapolate from that because you're obviously not going to make the like you know you're not going to have dragon reference. If you do, then you're you should be a millionaire because if this if it's the real deal, then then yeah. I, I want your dragon. But the point is is that you know you you will need to do a bunch of interpretation and a bunch of other things that that will take some of that and sort of marry it with a completely different creature and you're going to be putting a lot of your own work on top of it because you don't you know like and it may be in that case you're like quite literally looking at bird references and tiger references or bear references whatever your actual like land-based dragon references and then now you're now you're not just saying you know stitching like putting a bridge between two things which is already difficult for sure but it's it's more like kind of grafting two things into one another and sort of somehow creating a new a new species out of like you know almost doing some sort of dna splicing with all the reference yeah. so yeah, I, I agree that's a great example if i see a quadruped dragon that yeah. i see it landing then he's walking and i see the little tiger reference and then yeah, it starts sure. to and then i have an eagle reference and yeah, then it stalls yeah. again and i don't have any reference i mean instantly i'm like wow okay this person knows how to select proper reference how to adjust the weight with the character that, that they have so right away i'm like okay they, uh, i can trust that they will be able to uh, to do a good job in production when you have to sometimes do Frankenstein reference and then, oh shit, the director wants something else. Now he's going on the right yeah. side instead of the left side. Well, I don't have the perfect reference <laughs> for that. Well, you're going to, uh, <laughs> to have to animate it. <laughs> yep, welcome to the circus. That's what yep. it's like out there. Yeah, no, that's exactly. a good question. That's a good one because yeah, it is. I I do agree too. It's like it used to be nothing, and now the market's a bit more crowded. But the, it's also luckily crowded by a bunch of people that are just like literally almost rotoscoping or quite literally rotoscoping. So you still have a chance to to put it out there, but put it out there in in the right way. I have the yeah. same speech about about motion captured stuff. If you put motion capture stuff on your reel. For the love of God, please make sure that you show before and after. Don't just put a bunch of stuff on your reel and put motion capture underneath because no one has any idea what you did. How do I know that you didn't literally just get really good mocap data and then put it on a character and then maybe do a little bit of retargeting and then hit the render button? Like literally, that's not that's not showing off at all. I need to see that you you did something to it. So at least give me a before and after, and then I can give me a reason to be impressed in other words, because otherwise it just makes me suspicious and makes me, it makes me question your own critical thinking skills, because if you can't put yourself in the shoes of, of the person looking at it, then you might not be very good on the production floor. Cause I need people that are doing the same kind of mental math where it's like, okay, so what does the shot really need? Or what does this gameplay mechanic really need? These are the kind of important questions you should do and ask yourself before you even animate something. So same thing for demo reels, which is another one of those layers of communication that are happening in a demo reel, right? If you put enough critical thinking and you present it in a way that makes sense and it's answering a lot of questions that that person is going to be asking in their own head when they're watching it, then you you're almost already hired. You know, you're yeah. going to probably get an interview and now they're just going to just the only way you're going to screw it up is if you really botch the interview and just act like an idiot. So just show up, be polite and and answer honestly the questions and you probably got the job. Yeah, the show reel is not everything, but it's still no. the the main tool that you have to advertise yourself, to brand yourself. Yeah. I mean, I still remember Cam Fielding show reel from what oh, he did on Turok, like, I don't know, like 15 years ago. I saw yeah. it just it's maybe once or twice and I, I still... Yeah, uh, remember so, and especially now that you know more and more studio are going with remote <laughs> freelancing and all that, you don't just compete with your own village anymore. You compete with everyone else. Exactly. So if you're, and that's a double-edged sword. If you have a very average showreel that you didn't. 
put enough uh, thoughts into it, uh, that's definitely going to affect uh, the the odds to to land your uh, dream job. But on the flip side, if you are smart about the showreel, if you are creative, if you you go the extra mile to provide those reference and, and all of that, yeah. uh, it can go a very long way. And then you end up yourself mm -hmm. having, wow, I now have four different options. Which yeah. one do I do, do I choose? So it, it's always been the showreel has always been from the time that we're putting them on tape. Yeah. It was still super important. It's still extremely important today. I think yeah. it's just even more so because it's still, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of, uh, of uh, artists. There's no way that, you know, a recruiter or a director knows everyone. So he's still no. going to rely yep. heavily on the showreel. And the, the showreel is what makes you go through the gate. And after that, it's recommendation. It's, yep. you know, the interview and all that. But if you don't pass the showreel and maybe a, a last piece of uh, advice, just keep in mind that, when a recruiter or a director is looking at your showreel, he's not just looking at your showreel. He's probably looking at a hundred different showreel. So if, and he's, he doesn't want to spend a week looking at them. If you don't capture his attention within 10 seconds, mm. you're probably already out. So I would say no matter what buildup you want to put in your showreel <laughs> to have the masterpiece of your shot, yeah. like at 48 seconds and then it's no ju just start super strong Absolutely. start strong start with the diversity and that's going to be like oh okay i'm interested to to see mm -hmm. all the rest um so yeah put your best foot forward for always for sure. always yeah. always okay next question i'm uh speaking of motion captures i want to hear about motion capture that's a good one i'm interested in doing motion capture acting creature work in specific do you think that uh do you think that it could help me become a better animator or is it going to be too taxing learning both of these things? Um, so that's okay. So I'll take the first stab at this. So it's, it's, it, I think it, a lot of it depends on where you are currently in your, in your learning curve. Like, are you just starting out or are you already, do you have a couple years under your belt and you're considering yourself a junior? Like, I don't know where you are. I get the feeling you're just starting out because the way like you, you kind of be, you seem to be talking about learning two things at the same time, but I don't know because it could just be like creature work is maybe new and I don't know. So I'm just, one thing I will tell you for sure is to answer because there's a couple questions in here. The, the the question I will answer right now is: Can motion capture make you a better animator? I would say absolutely yes. The same way that video reference makes you a better animator, motion capture working with the data. Uh, so something I talk about every once in a while is the good old days, the golden era of animation, where we would work as assistants or even in betweeners to an animator on a, on a film before we got a shot at being an animator on our own and then maybe a supervising animator at some point, the idea was that we were literally, quite literally, the animator on that shot were doing all of the key poses. The assistant animators were doing breakdowns and the in-betweeners were doing the in-betweens. And so, as you can see, there is a small army of people that work under the animators. There's, and as you go up the ladder, there's fewer of them, right? So like there's, you know, there's maybe a handful of animators and there's quite a few assistants and there's a army of in-betweeners. At least that's what it was like back in the 2D days. So you got a chance to work with these drawings and just working with them and like learning from them and understanding and just absorbing it made you better because it made you more, like as long as you're actively observing as you're as you're working with the, with the stuff, which it's hard to do if you're animating with the stuff. Um, I'd say the same thing with motion capture. If you're editing it and you're like modifying it and you're working with it all the time, 
you're going to start realizing things like, for instance, I still to this day will go back and look at motion capture data when I'm really trying to figure out something specific about the way a certain like a limp works. You know, you could look at reference for sure, but, you know, reference is limited to the angle you get. You don't always have two angles. And so it's sometimes really hard to see for sure what's going on where in motion capture, you have the world's best reference because you can ro- you can slow it down. You could scrub it backwards, forwards, get as close as you want, as far as you want, look at from whatever angle so as long as you're using like that you can be and you can see the animation curves yeah yeah exactly that's that's huge what you just said there just selecting on like the hips and like showing the curves and now you can see like oh man wow i had no idea like because sometimes your eyes not picking up on things on the reference right but what better way to measure something than in like quite literally world space on these plotted curves so oh my god wow the hips do thrust forward a little bit on the runs oh my god it's like you might not see that especially if you're looking at like rhino house reference or something and they've stabilized the camera to the to the person and you're not it's not picking up on that you know um because it's maybe stabilizing based on the hips and so the hips are never going to move relative to the camera so your brain will never see it and it's really hard to see that if you're watching someone run across the field you're never going to see that it's too microscopic it's it gets hidden by the fact that they're displacing how you're going to see small like inches of fluctuation in speed um, over the course of someone traveling at five meters per second across, like no, you just won't. So, yeah, you but you will if you if you should take a look at the F curve, and then now suddenly you're like, wow, I just learned something huge. I do that all the time. I'm I'm all I'm still discovering new things that I had no idea was a thing when I'm looking at motion capture footage. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe you want to take a crack at the other part of that question, Dave. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the part of the question that, that I see is, uh, is it too much to try to become good at, at both? And I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think at some point you, it's, I mean, you obviously have the, the, the choice of being um, in between a generalist that is able to do everything decently or become super specialized like you just do creature uh, animation. But I would say most people are finding a balance in between. And I would say that motion capture and creature animation usually lend themselves into either VFX or uh, video game. So uh, I'm not saying that if you animate creature, you will have to animate mocap. And if you animate mocap, you will have to animate Mm. creature. But those productions usually often have both of of those things. So I would say that at least even if it's too different that you know both expertise are going to complement each other but we can Mm -hmm. see them at two different expertise both of them are typically typically going to be in the same kind of production so if you want to go towards video game either it's gameplay cinematics or uh, vfx uh, then you will definitely become an asset for a director that is looking for someone that's sometimes going to do that uh, sometimes going to be uh, doing creature animation but he's not going to complain when he has to to work with mocap and the and the uh, other way around so to me it would come back to brent first question as what is your current level of uh, experience mm-hmm. and expertise mm-hmm. um if you're starting i would say start with one get used to it get good to it and then eventually had the other uh Whichever you want to start with, it's your mm-hmm. own decision. I would say if you were stuck with only one, which one would it be? Then start with this one. I don't think at 
starting with one is going to give you a, a big advantage. Uh, but no, uh, I um, uh, I don't think that it, it would be too taxing to learn these two things. Now, if you are already working 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and you have a family exactly. and you want to take two online classes at the same time, mm-hmm. one with Preach and MoCap, that's a terrible idea. Don't, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, but just in general, Focusing to push those two different expertise, uh, I think it's a it's a great it's a great idea. Um, now there's a there's a subtle nuance to you, the first part of this question too that I wanted to touch on. You're saying specifically, you're saying I'm interested in doing motion capture acting creature work in specific. Um, so right off the bat, and, and then you go on to say, do you think that will make me a better animator? So I. I mean, so it sounds like what you're saying is you'd like to get in a suit and actually do the performing as well. But I'm I'm making the assumption that you would then be working with the data possibly because that would that would definitely help you make a, a be a better animator. But if that's not, if the question is more just performing physically in a suit, is that going to make you a better animator? I would also say yes because I think that. Um, just like taking acting classes is a good idea for an animator. Someone who's getting out there and becoming comfortable with their body and, and learning how to perform with their body. Performance is performance, whether you're doing that through animation, whether you're doing it with your own physical body, whether you're doing it with puppets, it's performance, it's entertaining, and it's about movement and timing and all these important things. So no matter what, you could, you know, all these things all work in this very similar frequency in our minds. So you're always going to be, getting advantages you know in other areas when you focus on one of those frequencies and specifically so with everything that i work with there was always a few animators that were shooting Mm. uh, a lot of reference for the other Mm. animators so Mm. if we're touching just acting in in general not even thinking about uh, mocap being able to be comfortable to shoot reference in front of Mm. uh, other people whether it's reference for you or for others it's another uh, you know, uh, um, uh, another asset that you can uh, bring. So I would say that's another thing in a showreel. If you have a shot and you show your own reference and it's actually a, a pretty good acting, that's another thing that a recruiter or director might say, oh, on top of that, if we need mm-hmm. animators that are not comf- uh, comfortable shooting reference, he can also do do that. So that would be another asset for sure. Yeah. Um, one one last little point here. What is it's also interesting that you're saying creature specific, motion capture and creature don't usually go well hand in hand unless you are actually cap motion 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 capturing like an actual creature. Like if you can get like a or like not a creature but like an animal like a dog, horse or something like that. But usually we usually defer to an actual animal when we're trying to capture something that looks real like a real quadruped. That being said, there is room there to actually. I've always been really interested myself in 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 trying to. To get more out of a of a performance, like we get in a suit and we walk we walk around on our on our on all four, but we're trying to take that data and then sort of graph that onto a creature in an interesting way. Who's to say that like my arms have to be arms? They could be our uh, you know four legs, or who's to say that they can't be like the wings of a dragon? Like there's once you have motion, you could repurpose it in a lot of really interesting ways if you know how to do that in something like motion builder. So. It's a lot, there's lots of room there to be very experimental. I don't see enough of that. I, I, in my mind, I always refer to it as digital puppeteering. And J, obviously, Jim Henson's workshop, they dabble a lot in this kind of stuff. You know, Phil Tippett Studios, because that's a space that they work with a lot, like actually using a lot of animatronic stuff. And so there's kind of a weird sort of in-between world there that they, they, they play around with motion capture. Um, next question. 
Yeah, sure. I see another one here. I think that it might be a quick one to uh, answer from uh, Izerkakan. I hope that I'm pronouncing uh. that right. Uh, do you need connections recommendation to get into the industry? Um, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's quick. That's a good one. That, that's it. That, that's yeah. all I had to say for, yeah. for, for this one. It helps, but... <clears throat> You don't need yeah, it. it's not necessary. I agree. I think really the, the the demo reel is your calling card, and if you put that, you know, when you if you can get that onto the right person's desk, and you don't need a connection to do that because recruiters are that's their job is them do is to make sure that they're putting it on the right desk. So if you have something that catches their attention well enough that they can then be like, I think this is a good one. I think you really need to look at it. It'll end up on the director's desk, and hopefully you get a call. So just. Yeah. Some of it's the right place at the right time, for sure. And some of it can help if you have an inside scoop. But it certainly, like, no, it's absolutely not a necessity. It's it's a nice to have. Yeah, it, it might speed up the, the process or not. I would say yeah. once you're in the industry, especially uh, <laughs> when you are, uh, you know, fresh out of school, um, try to get a good reputation. Be kind with people uh, around you provide you know good work for follow direction uh be a sponge learn uh, as much as, as you can and this is how you're going to uh, start to have a if not a reputation at least you know kind words uh, uh, about your work and then you know recruiter will talk to each other or uh supervisors um or whatnot but yeah it's a it, i would say it's a nice to have but it's not the most yeah. important thing at all Agreed. This is a good one. I like this question. What differentiates an animation programmer from a gameplay programmer? Well, my friends, um, I think it, to, to try to not be, take too long with this, this, this uh, question, basically, in some companies, they're the same thing, to be completely honest with you. If you're working at a bigger company, you may be blessed with the, op the, the opportunity of working with both. If you are in a case like this, if they're, if they're both of them, the gameplay programmers are typically the ones working directly with the designers to build the features so that the, like the, the core mechanics, like the characters can do these things. The animation programmer is working on animation technology to help make the animation play better and work better with the features that are being asked. Right, because the more you understand gameplay animation, the more you realize it's not quite straightforward. It's not like just making a bunch of cycles and putting it into the game. There's a lot of really big challenges, technically speaking, to make it play in a way that looks good. Um, so especially when the the gameplay features are very demanding, like you know, shooting games are always the, the, the worst for this because the designers always want the character to be running around, changing direction while shooting and reloading in midair and then also shooting the 360 degree. Like they want to be able to do everything because, the, you know, while well, the player is going to want to do everything, then trying to make that look good is really the bane of the animation department. And we are, we can't do that on our own. We usually need technology to be developed to be able to bring it to the next level for instance if you know what motion matching is we wouldn't have motion matching if it wasn't for animation programmers because it's usually people that work in that very specific field of like body mechanics in a game engine and how we can adapt it in a really kind of interesting way in real time to to be able to be more agile but also not at the cost of looking like a steaming you know dumpster dumpster fire it requires it usually requires technology so gameplay programmers don't usually get their hands as dirty there but if you're working in a small company they're gonna they smaller companies are probably not working on proprietary engines though so you already have some probably some pretty decent technology to work with if you're working say like an unreal or unity so you probably don't need a animation programmer as much if that's the case but uh yeah it all it all depends
So hopefully that answers the question. It's a tricky one to answer because that's a big topic. Um, There's one? another one here. It's pretty interesting from mm. Ender Perez 16. Uh, with everybody getting access to this awesome information available about animation, how can I develop unique skills and quality to stand out from the rest? Um, <laughs> my first thought is not, don't be confused. 95% uh, of the people will have access to the information and do nothing with it. So true. So that, that's the first thing. There's all, often the, the, the fear of missing out of, oh my God, everyone has it. Everyone is going to have amazing surreal. No, if you're actually use this information to good use, you are part of the 5% that actually yeah. properly uh, used it. So that, that would be the, the first thing. Um, I would also say that, you know, we are uh, in an industry that is booming. Video game is mm. booming. Animated feature, VFX, VR is coming. AR is coming. Virtual universe, uh, whether it's Facebook or Epic or others, that they're basically going to recreate the world all in CG, which means... So there, there's not going to be a shortage of uh, good job, at least for the next... I don't know. I don't want to predict the... the for many years, uh, let's uh, let, let's not go into 20, 30 years in the, the, the future, but at least the next decade for, for sure. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't fear to, to having a hard time to, to, to stand out if you actually do good work. So how can I develop unique skills and quality to stand out from the rest? Uh, just work hard uh, on your craft. Uh, become better and better, compare your work with uh, others, try to have good feedback from animators or other artists that you look up to in the uh, industry. Uh, try to be original. Uh, as I said, I mean, there's a lot of places out there where you can look at 100 showreel. Look at 100 showreel and you'll start to see the pattern of, oh, they're always doing this or this or this mm -hmm. or this. Uh, Try to create something that's going to be uh, uh, original. If let, let's say I saw a showreel recently that the transition in between the the animation that were in the showreel were presented by an animated character that was <laughs> amazingly animated. I mean, just that. I remember the name. I remember the showreel. Mm. Uh, I ended up hiring that 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 person for a, a, a couple months. Uh, why? Because it's standard out quality mm. is important but if on top of quality you're able mm. to be original and stand out and yeah. that's for you to figure out what that means there are so many different ways to, to do it um yeah it, it's not no matter how much free information there is out there uh, it, it doesn't change everything anything no nope. yeah i i will re-emphasize a point that i made earlier which is do your homework don't just do what you think you're supposed to put it's amazing how many animators are on autopilot when it comes to demo reels because they heard from somebody that you're supposed to put this stuff on your reel, so that's what they do, as opposed to, no, 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 don't take anyone's word for it. Do your homework. Find out, like, have an idea as to what you want to do. Like, what job are you are you applying to? You can even get to the point where if you really want to stand out, you could do a little homework on the company itself. Take a, a good look at the kind of work that they do and then cater, put a couple things on the reel that are fresh that really right away you know is going to resonate with them. I know for a fact, and this is a, this is a true story, I used to teach um, for Ubisoft here in Montreal. They had a campus called UB. Uh, I think they still do, but it, it changed a little bit. They called it UB Campus. And it was uh, what they did was they worked uh, alongside some, uh, some uh, community colleges here 
and built these programs that were sponsored by Ubisoft and Ubisoft even supplied some, some of their, their staff as instructors. And the idea was that it was going to give you hopefully a bit more, you know, product, you know, training that would be catered specifically to the needs of the video game industry. And obviously Ubisoft gains, um, to, you know, they gain to benefit because it's almost like a farm school for them that they know that the people that are in that school are getting exactly the training that they need to be able to hire these people. But um, also this, this, students win because they don't have to go to Ubisoft. They can go anywhere with those skills. But I remember the day, I'll never forget the day I came in. Um, it was a day that the recruiters from Ubisoft had come to do a little presentation. And I had to like, I had to like quite literally deprogram a bunch of them because they were being told by recruiters that they absolutely do not put a bunch of sport animation on there because Ubisoft doesn't make sport games really. And it's like, you know, take a look, you know, make, make sure that you're, you know, like, you know, take a look at our games like Assassin's Creed. We really like characters that are moving around with swords. And it's like, it does, you know, like you could, you, you could go down that road if you're really trying to show off. You know what I mean? If you really want to like add a little wink to the actual, to the actual company that you're applying to, you can for, but, but the advice was generally bad in my opinion, because who's to say that they absolutely want to work for Ubisoft. So that advice is really good when you know where you want to work. If you're not interested in doing that and you want to put a reel out to a bunch of different companies, then maybe at least get a basic idea as to, like I said before, spend a bit more time Try to interview somebody. Try to get your hand, get a, have a conversation if you can with a gameplay animator that works in the industry, and then try to understand really what it is that they do every day, and then do that. And I keep saying, if you're going to try to get a job in games, absolutely learn a little bit about Unreal and or Unity, and then put some stuff on your reel that shows that you're actually already integrating some of your own animations. I'm telling you, I've been saying this for about ten years. And I still don't see very much of this on demo reels. So just doing this one single thing for a game company, trying to get a job at a game company will make you stand out. Like you will be not the 5%. You will be like the 0.5%. It's ridiculous how few people are actually taking that extra effort to really do something that makes them stand out like that. So don't worry about it. Well, worry about it. unless Don't worry about it unless you're going to be like everybody else and not really put the work in like David said. <laughs> All right, we have another one here from uh, Pidar. Um, mm. Do employers do an in-depth social media research on you when considering <laughs> you for a position? <laughs> Some people speak out about controversial topics. Uh, oh, would that be a put-off? How mindful should we be about this? That's a very interesting question. It is. It's I'm... funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> if Josh, Josh is in the background right now, he's probably really laughing hard. These two are both <laughs> in my class and it's, this is such a petter question. Petter, let me just tell you right now, you should probably just go ahead and delete all your social posts because if you're that nervous about it, it means you probably have some controversial stuff going on in there. Just be proactive, just delete it. But of course, I will also remind you that everything on the internet lasts forever. So even if you delete it, it's probably still out there. Josh has probably already screenshotted all of your, your posts. So you're kind of in blackmail you know, territory already. So good luck, good luck. <laughs> but here's David's uh, real answer because it is, it is a good question. It is a good question. I mean, I've never done it. I don't have time to 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 do it. I'm pretty sure there are some recruiters that are doing it. I mm. I cannot bring an average. I would say maybe one out of four people will take the time to look into it. Um, it's funny because I, it's coming down to what Brent you you said. If you're concerned about it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're concerned enough to ask the question, that, Peter, that, I'm just that saying that answers you. That answers the question right there. 
just be a good person. Yeah. Be kind to others. Don't. I mean, you you can have con uh, <clears throat> you know uh, controversial thoughts, but there's a <laughs> kind and respectful way to kind of you know whether you're liberal or conservative, right, left, whatever it is. As long as it's not disrespectful. And yeah, hateful, I agree. I wouldn't say just be this super bland with no personality. You know that no, that doesn't make sense uh, at all. Uh, but I would say if a recruiter would go and, uh, uh, and and look for this kind of stuff, I can only imagine that they would only be uh, put off uh, if they find something that they would judge that this was not they, this would not be appropriate. In a working uh, in a working place, um, so yeah, I, I would say if you <laughs> the way you interact on social media and, and all that should not be determined by are you going to be fined out by recruiters, just just be respectful <laughs> in general and it'll be fine no matter what are your views uh, whether you find them controversial or, or not. That's... Yeah, it's full disclosure too. Just to be fair, Petter is actually a pretty good dude. I he's he just asks these very like cere cerebral questions. This is sort of his thing, so I get mm -hmm. why you're asking it. And I think it also depends on where you live too, potentially. Like I know that some some places have different social climates, and so maybe you know. Keep in mind, you have to go a little out of your way. Like it's only people can really only see the public comments. So if you're going on Twitter and saying a bunch of like hateful stuff, then yeah. You, you, it, it might karma might come back and bite you in the ass. But if you're actually being respectful, like David said, and having a different point of view, but respectfully sort of trying to express that point of view, then if you are not getting hired by your company because of that, you don't want to work at that company. I'll tell you that right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like sometimes things don't work out for good reasons and it might bum you out. But then at the end of the day, if you would have got a, a job at a company that was so completely like different culturally in your mind, you would have, you would have hated it there. You know, like if they don't tolerate different points of view, that's not a place I want to work personally. So, you know, easier. I guess maybe that's easy for me to say because I have a job, but I don't know. <laughs> um, what's next? Uh, there's another one that was just above it uh, from Dinkin Flicka, I think. Dinkin Flicka. Mm. Uh, can you share some tips or advice to prepare for an interview after successfully taking the initial test? Um, I'm going to rely on my own experience for, uh, this one. I've, I don't know, it's a boring Esther, but I've never prepared for an interview like ever. Uh, I mean, I, I might've been interested a little bit in the, 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 the studio. I looked maybe a little bit at the website, what kind of production that they were doing, but I was not doing it be because of the interview. It was just because I was genuinely interested of, okay, if I'm, if I want to go work there, uh, what kind of place uh, uh, it is? Um, but it, and, and it kind of touch a little bit to a question that we had. Uh, I think it was uh, last week, Brent. That it was, you know, if uh, should you be expecting like uh, a question with a how did it, was it phrased uh, with a like a second meaning, or they're asking this question, but it's actually a trick oh, question. They are looking yeah. if you're going to fall into the trap. Don't just clear your mind and just be just be genuine be yeah three questions just be genuine be yourself uh answer genuinely what they're asking if they're asking you how do you see your future 
don't answer that you see your future in that studio because you think that this is what they, they want to, uh, to, to hear. Just be truthful with it. If that's the case, well, just share it. If you're looking, well, I'd really like to come here to have that experience because my dream job is at, you know, Disney or whatever. And I feel that here I could, you know, really grow as an artist and eventually maybe have a chance to, to go there. Whatever is genuine and is the reality, just go with uh, that. So, yeah, I, I don't know if there is any specific preparation that you should do before an interview other than just being, you know, do basic research about the studio, the project that the, the, that is there. So you're not completely clueless when they uh, ask you about that. But for the rest, don't try to prepare. Oh, if they ask me for this question, I'm going to answer this or uh, or this or that. No, just go in there and improvise at the best of your skills and be genuine and truthful in what you're answering. I have nothing new to add there, to be honest. I think you just have to, because like, you don't want it to feel scripted. You should just go in and be yourself. I mean, that might be stressful for you um, because like you you just might be like, you just want to do such a good job on this interview. And I think the best way of doing the job is just, because you're not going to, by preparing, you're not going to suddenly like, cram in a bunch of like perfect answers to questions. I think generally speaking, people are not trying to trick you in anything usually, you know, and again, I think that if they are trying to trick you, then I don't know if I really want to work there either. Like, it's like, I want to have an honest conversation with somebody when I'm actually being interviewed. I don't want some sort of weird gauntlet of like, well, you didn't quite answer all of our tricky questions. So you don't get the job. Good. See you later. I don't want your job. There's this, there's this two here though, um, a follow-up question, which I think is interesting because this concept of test you brought up, Mm. The previous question. So this whole idea of tests, and I think this is really interesting too, because I've also noticed this. What do you think about animation tests at the point of getting hired? Why do you think game devs, or why why does game dev have more emphasis on the anim test compared to film? I have no idea how to answer that second question, but it is a thing. Um, I don't. It's always been a thing. It's less of a thing now. I find I haven't been asked my well. I guess because I'm usually getting I, I'm I'm usually applying as an animation director to a job, so they don't ask directors to do tests at that point. It's pretty much word of mouth that you're going to get that job offer um and and, and a good interview is usually how it goes but um yeah i mean i personally have not asked a person to do a test in a really long time for getting a job um i think that the only time that i've i see i've seen tests used lately is if it's very specific like we're really worried there's a special skill like quadruped for instance maybe we're looking for quadrupeds uh, uh animators uh for for or a creature animation uh, animators for a game um and uh, we know that not everyone has you know great stuff on their reel but maybe we'd be willing to also offer like if you want to do something new New, you don't have anything on your reel that shows that then maybe here's an example of something you could do as a test that would show us that you have the skills so that can happen um mm -hmm. yeah but um the tests i don't know i have mixed feelings about the tests i think that it's i don't like the idea of ever asking anybody to do anything for free for for yeah. one that's that's the same thing for for me i've never thought of asking for a test or been comfortable for it or, and I've never been asked to do a test before going to, uh, to a studio so the first time that I heard about a uh, test that was in big uh, video, uh, video game studio I was a bit surprised uh, by it I never felt comfortable because this is actually asking for free work uh, you already have a, a sure I understand why because you know no matter the quality of your showreel or even uh, showreel not from students, but even from your past work, 
you know, sometimes if you have an amazing supervisor that basically holds your hands and redraw every pose and all that, yes, you can have a pretty solid show reel, but without that specific supervisor. So I, mm. I understand why mm. asking for for the test, even if I've never been comfortable myself, so for asking for it. Uh, at the end of the day, if the studio wants a test and you're more than willing to do the test, yeah, just do the test. That, yeah, that's yeah. it. If you're like, oh no, I don't like this. It's like free labor. Just don't do it and go over there. Yeah, because not that's... not all companies are asking for it. That's for sure. I think oh, most, most don't. Most don't. Yeah, it used to be a big thing, and I think one of the reasons for that was there was a big fear that people that didn't have any animation or game animation experience would apply for the job. And they just because you're you know like does that like does everyone know how to make a proper cycle or like a like a, you know like it's there's there's a certain way to animate like for games and not everyone like typically learns this you know you can go to animation school and not learn any of that very easily I know that I went to the animation school didn't learn any of that I had to learn that on my first you know game job and so I think that now there's enough people out there that kind of know more about that, but, but it would be weird for me to like ask for the test to just like, here, just make this animation of a character jumping and rolling. It's like, which is funny. Cause I would never ask you to do that anyways, unless you're working on a cinematic for a game. Usually that would be broken up into multiple animations in some way. And the only way for me to really understand whether that would work and would be good is if I had it integrated into the game and I could see it played. And then I'd be like, Oh yeah, nice job. But if it's just a bunch of animation, then like that doesn't, doesn't really prove anything to me. So it could be just lazy recruiting too, because it's like, you know, they don't really know what they're looking for. So they just ask for something that they would ask you for, for the game. And then if that passes the director's sort of quality test, you get the job. I mean, it could be that, yeah. which I'd be questioning seriously whether I want that job. But yeah, since we're on the test, there's another question from player mm. pawn zero. Do technical animators get more tests because it's technical? I have no idea, but I can relate, and maybe Brent, you have a better perspective than I have. I know that when I was at uh, um, uh, in video game, uh, programmers definitely had yeah, uh, to do more normal. tests than any uh, artist. So, Brent, what what is your perspective on that? Is it because you know, as an artist, you have a showreel, so you can uh, kind of showcase what you can do, and as a programmer, it's more difficult. Uh, yeah. You you have your you know, your LinkedIn profile, you have how you sell yourself. So do you have any insight of why programmers uh, would most of the time have to do a test? Yeah, I have a couple ideas here. I can, I'm trying to find the question so I can put it up. This is I thought it was this one, but it's not. Where is it? Where is it down? Lower, uh, it, it's or? down. Yeah, it got a little bit down. It was from uh, Player uh, Pond. Uh, oh, it was Player Pond. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me look. Let me look. I just wanted to make sure that because if someone joins, they won't know what the hell we're talking about. It's nice. But, to but we can answer this one after. It, it's a good one as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So I'm not answering this question, but I can answer. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I'm not answering the questions on the screen. I'm going to ask, ask the answer the question that we just asked. So, so, and so the reason why, the big reason why uh, that you, that, that, that programmers get tested is because it's the only really way of knowing because programmers, the quality of a good programmer is the way they think. It's the way that they structure their, their approach to solving the problem in an elegant way that will give stable, reliable results. And the only way to do that is to be like, it's it's just is to ask them, like, what would you do if you needed to do this? How would you build that class? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, it's like, it's a way of getting direct to, directly to the heart of like, how does this person think? It's not as easy. They don't have a demo reel, right? Like programmers, 
Because here's the thing, you know, programmers could be like, hey, look at all these programs that I made. And then you use them. You don't know if they're like, like maybe that it's spaghetti code and it's held together with duct tape and toothpicks. And you wouldn't know because somehow they managed to squeak it out. And, you know, unless you play it long enough or use it long enough, you wouldn't know that it crashes all the time. So the best way is to look at someone's actual code, which is the same thing as like if I were to ask an animator to like, okay, cool. That's a great looking demo reel. Show me your Maya scene. And then a lot of you would be like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And you'd show it to me because here's the thing. Animators, like making animation productions are not a solo sport. It's a, it's a team sport. And so animators sometimes have to adopt another person's work. Sometimes doesn't happen all the time. And it's usually terrifying when we do, trust me. It's like the things that people do inside their Maya scenes are some things should be not be something because I can't <laughs> unsee, but for programmers, it's way more important because they're always using other people's code because people will be building these base classes and then reusing them and reintegrating them. And it's sort of, it ends up like spreading like a, like a virus everywhere. And so if that stuff isn't well-written and is not well thought out, it becomes a big problem. So that's why. So to, to answer the question about the technical animator, why they might get tested, it's because it's similar. And we do kind of have a test in a way. David and I actually have our own little thing. He might not even be really fully aware of it. When we're talking about technical animators, what ends up happening is we need to have a special conversation. And it's usually myself and another person who will remain unnamed because he's, he's, our, he's our special secret weapon. Um, and usually it's, I tag team it. It's like myself and this other person, we have a conversation with this person because within five minutes, we know, we know right away. It's the way this person thinks it's the kind of things that they do. Like we could be like, so have you ever dabbled with the, you know, this and that? Oh yeah, yeah. I did that the other day, but I really struggled with it because I find this is a better way of doing that. And it's like, okay, big check mark. It's like right away. We're just, we want to get inside your head because some people call themselves a technical animator because they opened up my um, unreal once. It's like, nope, you need to like, there's a certain level of knowledge that's pretty quickly revealed in a semi-technical conversation. So if you ever get if you ever get invited to one of those, hey, do you have a do you have a minute? Like you've already had your first interview, but then you get invited to another follow-up interview with a technical animator, be prepared to answer some technical questions. And if you're not going for a technical animator job, that's fine. They're probably doing that because they're you're probably going to be asked to work all directly alongside someone like this. And they want to know whether you're comfortable at least a little bit, or maybe comfortable at least learning a bit more about the engine because the job might require it. And that's why the technical animator is going to be on that call. I think it's a perfect segue to answer the, the question that you mm. actually yeah, put at is. the bottom. What is the difference between a technical animator and a regular <laughs> animator? Uh, you probably have even more insights than I have uh, on this side, but I would say usually technical animator are by and large people that started by being animator, if not professionally, at least at, at school, they, they, they thought that they were go going for to be an animator. Probably they have a little bit of uh, professional mm -hmm. experience as well, but they are, they were so technical and it's almost like they were more like the, an engineer type more an engineer than a creator yeah. of a, or an artist yeah. so for them rigging came easy scripting their own tool came mm -hmm. easy troubleshooting other animators became mm -hmm. easy opening a game engine and integrate animation became easy so they kind of evolved into yeah. their own thing that lives in between the very technical minded people with programmers on one side of the extreme and creative. So they are kind of speaking both a language. Um, and 
yeah, they, they are just two completely different. They, they might be able to animate, but for the most part, they're not animating. They're either creating yeah. the, the framework of what animators are, are, are using, not just the software, but the, the tools, the pipeline and, and all that. Um, and if we're talking more about video game, this is when they will dive deep in the uh, engine uh, itself. Yeah, so technical animators. So one thing to be clear is there's a lot of companies that still call technical, like the riggers, technical animators. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's changing now. I think that riggers are now calling themselves riggers because it didn't make any sense. And there was a collision because the role of technical animators are becoming more and more popular on productions. I think that it really like they are engineers, engineers in general, no matter whether you're a software engineer, a mechanical, electrical engineer, they're problem solvers. Engineers are always that they're they, they live in the space between creative creativity because problem solving is creative and the technical um, skills necessary to solve that actual problem so engineers that all learn how to use like a new language like c++ we call those people and they usually go to school for quite a while because there's a lot to learn there it's like mastering a brand a whole other new language while also mastering a way of thinking and logically they, you know, they end up going, you know, getting a bachelor's degree, usually at a university to get that in computer science um, or more specifically computer engineering. Um, so I think technical animators are really just cut from the same cloth. It's just that they didn't know that they were engineers. They thought they were animators and they started their career like that. They went to school, but they always like, like David said, like, usually it's like, no, it's usually easy to spot those people because they're the ones solving all the other person's problems. They know how to use Maya and how to debug all the problems. They just, they just, it's like they're, they, they, they're, they, they're like, they're Maya whisperers. They understand mm -hmm. for whatever reason, just because they have the an intuition of how these systems work and they get into scripting. That's the gateway drug for sure into yeah. all the other things. And they just are interested and they just keep going down that road. They might get more into rigging. They might, but the specific type of technical animator on game productions these days are the ones that are just inside the engine doing all this. So it's like where a, you know, just like you might be a Maya whisperer, these technical animators are unreal whisperers with specific regards to the animation systems. So a, an animation engine, um, so, uh, an animation programmer will be building the software, the, the, the feature sets inside the engine that technical animators would then probably utilize. And then the animators are supplying the animation data that gets brought into and then used in these systems. So they're the ones building the state machines. They're the ones setting up blend trees. They're the ones setting up like the IK systems and who knows, it depends on their comfort level. I know some that are even doing some more gameplay um, actual work where they're even building like gameplay systems and blueprinting because there's often a very blurry line between animation work and gameplay work inside of some very character-based uh, video games. Yeah. I would say for all the technical animators this evening out there, the future is bright for you because there, there is. is such a, a big need right now in the yeah. industry. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty insane. Yeah, the recruiters yeah. see you as essentially unicorns. Like they're you're very difficult to find because it is a relatively new but rapidly growing area in production and becoming more and more important for uh, productions that want to have a smaller footprint, both in budget and size of team, because um, technical animators are now able to do a lot of the things that that usually programmers were doing on on, on these jobs. And programmers usually command a much bigger salary than an artist on a team. 
And so teams are kind of hoping that they don't need an army of programmers to, to, to do some mundane tasks like animation integration. So if a technical animator can do that, and I'm, don't, I'm not saying that suddenly a technical animator is going to get paid like nothing. They actually, they do get paid quite a bit more than a lot of animators because they're unicorns and the market is so demanding right now. So going back to what David said, you, your future is bright. You're going to have job security and you're going to be paid well for that, that knowledge. So anybody who's at all technically leaning that loves yeah. the idea of game animation and likes the idea of working inside of game engines, keep it up, my friends, because uh, we're looking for you. I would, I would say if you were on a team and you know, your character rig didn't have IKFK <laughs> switch and everyone was struggling, the purebred artistic animator was going mm. frame by frame <laughs> in IK to, to make it work and you just created a tool to do the yeah. IKFK and you distributed that tool to everyone and everyone <laughs> was like animator. your biggest fan all of a sudden, it might be a sign that yeah, you might exactly. have a exactly. little bit of the the, the, yeah. the breed of a technical yeah. animator. Yeah. Um, if you if you heard about Unreal Five, the early release um, of Unreal Five, and you've already downloaded it, and you've already tinkered and made a bunch of different like things, and you've already you know reverse engineered the the the, the demo project that's inside there you're probably a technical animator, especially if you also think you're a tech, if you're, if you think you're an animator, but you're doing those things, you're a technical animator. That's what you are. Congratulations. Yeah. Go get a you job. You already did your little mini game in Unreal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Might be one. <laughs> uh, so um, I, uh, somebody else and myself had this big plan. So back at, this was back actually at, uh, and uh, David was, he knew about this. He thought it, he, he thought it was funny. We, we were looking for these unicorns. And one of the ways that we thought about, like a, we concocted a plan to find them is we're like, Hey, why don't we go on Twitch and look for people like with the keyword unreal and just watch them tinkering around in there. And right away, the, it will reveal itself obviously for sure, because they're building character based systems inside the game and they're doing it on their own. They're building their own game project. Guess what? They're a technical animator. They might not know that. That's what they're. That's what they're called. But we will be there to tell them that that's what they are, so they can discover themselves for the first time. And of course, they will be so gracious that they will accept our job offer. That was our crazy plan. It didn't quite work as easily as that, but but it is kind of funny because it is kind of a way to. Sometimes people don't even know. They don't know that's what they are, and so they're not actually marketing themselves like that. And so we had to go find these people. So. Yeah. Times. It's been already an hour, Brent. It has been, yeah. And it's funny, we didn't even get through, we didn't even touch the backlog. No, Jesus I know, Christ. just chat alone was enough to I know. <laughs> I know. with plenty of good questions. That's great. Yeah, yeah it is good. So it's it's a good it's a sign of 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 uh lots of good questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go recapture these ones after the stream tonight because I can go back into the Twitch stream because the, the uh I can I mean, most of the questions I can see are from Twitch. There's, um, I mean, I think I saw one or two that weren't Twitch-based. So it'd be very easy for me to go grab them. Um, yeah, there. I don't see any of them that are not from Twitch. So that's going to be very easy because the Twitch stream does actually record the um, the actual chat. So I can go in there and grab them. And um, but uh, actually, it, if you go on the Agora community, you can scroll down the the, the chat oh, yeah. uh, right there as well. That's a good point. So I, I would say anyone, any question that we didn't have time to answer, just mm. let's put it in the backlog. And hopefully, uh, at some point, maybe we'll next time. To, yeah, yeah, 
So yeah, so keep the questions coming. Um, we'll see you on the next Q&A. We're doing this every week now. It's already, it's like you'll see it in the schedule. We're actually automating it. David and I are just committing to this. It may not always be both David and myself. Like I said, we will try to make a point of telling you when there's going to be a, a special themed one. It'll be, um, we'll, we'll, we'll broadcast that on, um, on the social medias so that you'll have lots of, lots of time to prepare for those special ones. But otherwise, at the very least, David and I will be here um, with open arms waiting to answer any of the questions you're going to throw our way. Okay. So thanks for coming. Thank you, David, as always. Thanks, Brian. I will uh, see you. Cheers, dude. I'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. All right. So I can guess I can get rid of this question now. There it is. Um, Yeah. So see you on the next one. I guess I have nothing else to say. I already kind of stole on my thunder. So um, we do have one thing to to mention is we do have a, a live stream tomorrow. And it is with um, with um, I don't I I I really want to know how to say his last name, but I always forget it. I I, I just because I've never actually heard anyone say it. But it's Manny from uh, from um, uh, CG Master Academy. He's going to be here. It's going to be a really good conversation about just online communities, learning something like animation. But obviously, the um, CG Society and and you know the, the CG uh, the um, the uh, CG uh, Master Academy goes well beyond animation. So it'll be a pretty big, all encompassing topic. But I I'm excited about this one because I have lots of I lots of thoughts that I want to pick his brain on myself. So show up to that. It'll be tomorrow. Uh, sorry, um, uh, yeah, tomorrow at three o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. So hopefully we'll see some of you at that. Talk to you guys soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects, and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.